Now, last week we did the introduction to this where we talked about David and Bathsheba and the sin that happened there back in 1 Samuel 11 and 1 Samuel 12. If you weren't with us, I encourage you to grab a copy of that CD or listen to it online to get the background for where we get to this point. 1 Samuel 11 and 1 Samuel 12 is the downfall of David, uh, spiritually as a man and as his family, and even, if you would, as a kingdom. From 1 Samuel 12 on, David's life is a mess. His son rebels against him. There is death in his family. Spiritually, he eventually gets his life back on track. But we know from putting all the pieces together here that David went through at least a year of being in a state of unconfessed sin. One of the most dangerous places for us to be as a Christian is a, a state of unconfessed sin. That's scary. Anytime someone comes up to me and says, I know what I'm doing is wrong, but... What could you possibly say after that that's going to make it okay? When you know what you should be doing and you don't do it, that's sin, the Bible says. David went through a year of hiding this sin of adultery, of having this man killed, and it aided him spiritually and even to the point of physically. And I'm telling you right now, I have been in the states in my life of unconfessed sin where I'm going to hold a grudge, I'm not going to let go, or, you know what, I know it's wrong and I don't care, and eventually, physically, you just start to feel awful. There's the spiritual side of your life is a mess, the emotional side of your life is a mess, and eventually the physical side of your life is a mess. There's one of the Psalms, which we're not going to go through tonight, where David says, my bones cried out. Sometimes people come up to me, and you can just tell by looking in their eyes, physically they're a mess, emotionally, spiritually, there's a mess. And you're like, what's wrong? I remember one time I was asked to go speak to a gal. And um, this gal was going through a very, very difficult time and was obviously depressed. And uh, I was actually called in to go talk to her and sat there and we started talking. And physically she was a mess, all everything, emotionally, spiritually. And I really felt like the Lord said, ask her. And I said, is there unconfessed sin in your life? And she just broke down and just all of a sudden her heart opened up and she just let it all out. And it was a great turning point. There was another time I was with a guy, and we were discussing some stuff, and this man was just not right with the Lord. You could just tell. And I remember distinctly we were walking, taking care of something, and I remember asking him, too, what's going on? Is there something in your life that you know is wrong? And at that point he said, no. And I remember him coming back years later saying, yeah, there was something. Now, the reason I can ask people that is because there's been times in my life where someone comes up and says, James, is everything okay? I'm fine. And it's like, I'm not fine. I know there's things wrong in my life, and I know there's things I need to change, and I don't want to change them. And so therefore, since I don't want to change them, I'm going to snap at you. I'm going to be frustrated. I'm going to be upset because I'm spiritually not right. The most miserable person in the world is a Christian who knows what he or she should be not doing, and they're not doing it. It's a miserable place to be, a horrible place to be. And what you have here tonight in Psalm 51 is David's heart of just misery. A year of being in this unconfessed state of sin, and his life is falling apart. He had this guy killed. He committed adultery. And just, it was just too much. And what you see here in Psalm 51 is that. And I would say of the big five, I always think of the big five psalms. you got Psalm 1, which is the best psalm on just going deeper in the Lord. you got Psalm 23, the classic, the Lord is my shepherd. you got Psalm 40, a faith during tough times. you got Psalm 116, which is what I call the funeral psalm. I use it at every funeral, precious in the eyes of God, the death of one of his saints. But then you got the Psalm 51, which is the I messed up psalm. And I tell you, I have probably read Psalm 51, I hate to say this more than I read Psalm 23 or Psalm 40, because I seem to mess up a lot. And when I mess up and I feel this burden and this, I messed up, I am nobody, how can God love me? I shouldn't even be a pastor, a father, or a husband. I'm a horrible hypocrite. I go to Psalm 51. 
Because this is the only person that understands of, yeah, I've been in that spot. Psalm 51 says to the chief musician, a psalm of David, when Nathan the prophet went to him after he had gone into Bathsheba. This is what David penned after his sin had become public. Now here's the thing about sin. You can hide sin, and eventually sin's going to come out. Now sin will either come out in this world, because the Bible says it will, or if you can get through this world with sin not coming out, you know, if you're not saved, you're going to stand before the Lord, and that sin's going to come out eventually. Part of grace and mercy is sin coming out on this earth so that way we can deal with it in love and forgiveness. And I always think back to the situation with David. Imagine this. David is in his kingly throne here. And you know kings were never by themselves, so the room was probably full of things, full of servants, full of help. Maybe Bathsheba was even sitting there beside him as the queen. Um, Set the scene. Nathan wants to come in. Nathan the prophet. Oh, bring him on in. Nathan's got something to say. He's a man of God. This is a big deal. Nathan the prophet wants to speak to the king. You know, you got two spiritual people. You have the political leader in David. You have the spiritual leader in Nathan. And you got these people coming together. What is he going to say? And then Nathan drops this bomb on David in front of everybody. Have you sinned? I mean, imagine that, having a room full of everybody. And somebody comes in and says, can I lay it out on the line of everything you're doing wrong? That's humbling. That's convicting. And this is what David went through. So Psalm 51, what's his first response? Have mercy upon me, O God, according to your loving kindness, according to the multitude of your tender mercies. Blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity. Cleanse me from my sin. First two verses, forgiveness is a God thing. It's not what we do, it's what he does. It's not what we do, it's what he does. I can't do anything with forgiveness other than say I'm sorry. But some of us have been raised that there are certain things we can do. And I'm telling you right now, there's no sacraments, there's no penance, there's no nothing that can be done to bring a peaceful relationship between you and Jesus Christ. Sin can only be dealt with through God. Old Testament, only thing sin can be taken care of in the Old Testament is that the blood of sheep and goats covered it up. It never took care of it. It just covered it up. And it wasn't until Jesus comes, you can check this out in Hebrews 9, 10, and 11, that Jesus says, I will take care of the sin problem completely, totally. I'm telling you right now, forgiveness is a beautiful thing. If you've ever carried the burden of sin, and when you finally say, Lord, I'm sorry, it's a beautiful thing. And you see this in David here in verses 1 through 2. He realizes it's only God that can forgive him. It's only him. It's only God that can take care of this. It's not what he does. Stay in Psalm 51, but jump ahead to verse 16. For you did not desire sacrifice, or else I would give it. You did not delight in burnt offerings. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. These, O God, you will not despise. Do you realize, verses 16 and 17, that is heresy for a Jew to say that. In the middle of the Old Testament, for a Jewish man to stand up and say, God, you don't want burnt offerings and sacrifices. Well, wait a second. That's what all of Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy is about. is about sacrifices. And so David got it in verses 16 and 17. He goes, it's not the amount of bulls I kill. It's the not amount of sheep that die. That's never going to make God happy. What's going to make God happy is when my spirit, verse 17, is broken. And says, Lord, all I want and desire is you. And you know what? We know that today, don't we? I sure hope none of you, when you sin, go out and kill some animal in your backyard to try to make up for it. Now, we're smarter than that, right? But yet, we do other things. Because I've done it, and I've heard people say it. 
Right? They start, well, I'm going to read more. I'm going to pray more. That's that not going to cover up that sin. I'm going to serve more. I'm going to do a better job. I've had people come in my office. I'm, I'm, I'm a horrible husband. I'm a horrible father. So I'm going to start doing this. I'm going to do a better job of doing dishes after work and telling my wife I love her and all this. No, that's, that's penance. No, if you want to be a better husband and father, have a broken spirit and a heart to say, Lord, I want to be a better husband and father. So often we want to do something, and this is why we struggle with forgiveness, because forgiveness is so far out of our hands that when somebody comes and says, I have sinned this horribly, and God says, I forgive you, we stop and say, that's, that's all there is? There, there's nothing that I have to do or have to be done. No. Forgiveness was taken care of 2,000 years ago on the cross. That's why Jesus said, it is finished. He did not say, to be continued. He did not say, I started the process. He finished it. So therefore, any time you try to do something to speed up forgiveness, help with forgiveness, or to help with your sin problem, you're really going against what the Bible has to say. And that's why it's so important to see how David starts out here in verses 1 through 2. It's all God. God gives the mercy. God's loving kindness. God's mercy again. God's mercy again. He cleanses from iniquity. God did it all. And for some reason, that is really hard for us as Christians to grasp this concept that I have nothing to do with forgiveness other than saying, verse 3, I acknowledge my transgressions. My sin is always before you. Against you, you only have I sinned and done this evil in your sight that you may be found just when you speak and blameless when you judge. David said, I have to get my life right with you. Now, I look at this verse in verse 3 and 4 and I say, well, wait a second. Against you, you only have I sinned, verse 4. Okay, Uriah is dead. Bathsheba, we don't know what happened. We don't know if she was willing, if she was the one that started it, if she was taken by We don't know. But Bathsheba was involved with this. Uriah is dead. Um, he, he put uh, Joab in a tough position by saying, Joab, I want Uriah killed. He let down the whole kingdom. See, in America, we're really big into public apologies, aren't we? If some major person, be it political, sports, actor, whatever, messes up, there is a path of forgiveness in America. There's the press conference where they say they're sorry, and then they either go talk to Oprah or Barbara Walters, and they cry, they seek counseling, they realize what's wrong in their life, and there's this whole path and step of forgiveness. And so that's the way we like it. So when David says, against you, you only have I sinned, we stop and say, oh no, David, you, you really did a lot. And you stop and you look at verse 4 and it's like, well, wait a second. Who's going to stand before, who, who's David going to stand before at the end? He's not standing before Uriah. He's not standing before Bathsheba, Joab, or the kingdom. He sinned against the Lord. Now, what he did against Uriah was horrible. What he did against Bathsheba was horrible. Yeah, and he, if he can, he should go tell Uriah, I'm sorry for killing you. But the point is, he sinned against God. And I think sometimes what we see as Christians is we see a great heart towards others of, I've really wronged you, but we don't have that heart towards the Lord of, I have wronged God. And part of the reason why as Christians we should keep ourselves from sin is because we don't want to let down the Lord. David had this perspective back in verse 4. I sinned against God. Yes, he wronged Uriah, Bathsheba, Joab. Yes, those are all wrong, and he needs to go make peace with them. But he sinned here against the Lord. He'd done this evil in God's sight. And you know what? Verse 4, that you may be found just when you speak and blameless when you judge. Why is that verse in there? Because Satan loves sin. 
Satan loves to stand before God the Father, and this is what he does. The Bible makes it clear that as we speak, Satan stands before God the Father, and he accuses us day and night. So Satan loves to stand before God and say, have you seen what James did today? Boy, he sure snapped at that person, didn't he? Boy, he was sure lazy on that. Boy, he sure let his eyes want. Boy, he sure said that, and he shouldn't have. And see, the problem is God, who is just, can't say anything. He's, yeah, James sinned. See, but the problem is, from Satan's perspective, when I confess my sins, Jesus' blood covers it. So when Satan says, did you see what James said? God the Father says, no, actually I didn't, because the blood of Jesus covered that sin. And so that way, verse 4, he's blameless. See, Satan loves to hold things over God, and he can't hold my sin over God the Father because Jesus Christ has paid for my sin. And that's this whole heavenly scene. David is saying, I let God down. I gave a foothold to the enemy for God's name to be cursed, for God's name to be put down, for God's name to be drugged through the mud. And I did that to the kingdom of God, so God, I'm sorry, and I want to make you blame. See, the thing is, when you and I sin, we don't think about that, do we? That we have let down the kingdom of heaven. Now, I heard a pastor saying this is true. God's not shocked when you sin. I'm shocked when I sin. I'm like, I can't believe I did that again. God's not. But yet that sin still causes a break in fellowship. That sin still causes a break in communication. That sin needs to be dealt with. And this is what David did here. David won a year. And I bet you this was a pretty dry year for him spiritually. And he needed to be made right. And as he needed to be made right, he needed to be made right with God. Verse 5, Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin my mother conceived me. Behold, you desire truth in the inward parts, and in the hidden part you will make known to me wisdom. Now, some people have a real problem with this, and I don't. You were born a sinner. Now, the, you can get a little more detail. You're, you're, you sin by choice. Everybody in this room has sinned because you chose to do something wrong at one time or another. And, and you can't get around that. You have. Now, some people may say, okay, well, here's a brand new little baby. This baby has not sinned. The problem is the baby's born into sin. Genetically, it inherits sin because mother and father sinned. And you may say, well, that's not fair. Now, I didn't set the rules up. See, my kids have sin nature because I've sinned. And you know what? I had sin nature because my parents sinned, and then my grandparents sinned. And my gra if you want to blame somebody, go back to Adam and Eve. See, the Bible says that through one man, sin entered the world. Now, I want to make this abundantly clear because I believe this needs to be made clear. I firmly believe, and I believe the Bible makes it abundantly clear, that if something happens to a young child, a young baby, if they would die, they, they automatically go to heaven. The Bible makes that clear. And if somebody has more questions about that, there's numerous scriptures we can give you that show that and back that up. I don't want anybody to leave this uh, study tonight going, oh, great, if something happens to a three-month-old. No, that's not what we're saying in any way. Because there is something that we believe is called the age of accountability. That when you get to a point where you understand what relationship with Jesus is, you are now accountable for your actions, and you have to make that choice. Now, when does sin nature show up by choice? I, I remember years ago, I had somebody here from church tell me when we started having kids, they said, right around nine months, you'll start seeing sin nature in your kids. And I tell you, that's about true. Laden right now is a hair over eight months, and we're starting to see sin nature in him. You start to see this idea of crawling towards things that they shouldn't crawl towards and taking things that they shouldn't take. And you can see that little demonic sin in those little nine-month-olds. And if you don't believe me, it is true. Some people say, oh, kids are so sweet. No, they are not. They are sinners. 
And those sinners need to be dealt with. And that's why you have them for a while here to train them and raise them in the Lord. Sin nature starts coming out. And that sin nature is there. And why is it there? Look at verse 5. In sin my mother conceived me. David was not born some sinful way. He was born into sin. That's just what the Bible says. That's the plan. Is that we are born into sin so we need a Savior from the very beginning. So we sin by choice, we're sin by birth, we're sin by, by a heritage. We're just sin. And the thing is, God still loves us. That's the amazing thing about grace and mercy. So what you have here in verses 1 through 6 is you have this great theological setup. Verses 1 and 2. Only God can forgive me. He's the only one that can wash me clean. Verses 3 through 4. I've sinned. I am wrong. Nothing in here about, well, I wouldn't have done it if she wouldn't have done this, or I wouldn't have done it if he would have... No, so often, how many of our apologies are, I'm really sorry for the way I acted, but if you wouldn't have done this... I'm sorry, that's not an apology. An apology is, I'm sorry for the way I acted. See, with David in verses 3 through 4, I sinned. And then verses 5 and 6, I've always been a sinner. And God's the only one that can take care of that. So what you have here in verses 1 through 6 is this great theological introduction before we get into the other stuff that happened here now with David personally. So let's stop, quick stop here. Any quick questions, comments about this stuff so far before we move on? Okay. Now, he's a sinner. So what happens? Verse 7, purge me with hyssop and I shall be clean. Wash me and I shall be whiter than snow. Hyssop was something that was used in sacrifices there. So this talks about a, a spiritual cleaning. Look at verse 8. Make me hear joy and gladness. <clears throat> that the bones you have broken may rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out my iniquities. Now we start to see what was going on in David's life. Verse 8, make me hear joy and gladness. Now why would he say make me hear joy and gladness? Because he wasn't hearing joy and gladness. David wrote 70 plus psalms. But yet, here's the greatest psalmist of all time that did not have joy and gladness. I'm telling you right now, guys, when we allow sin into our life, it sucks the joy and gladness out of our life. I cannot stress that to you enough. When I see somebody living in sin, their joy goes right out the window. Because Jesus said there's joy in obedience. So when we're not being obedient, joy leaves. And you know, the thing is, it doesn't have to be us doing something. Sometimes it's just us holding on to something. A grudge, a bitterness, an anger, a frustration. I've seen people lose joy over that, where they have not actually done something, but they're holding on to things they shouldn't. Joy and gladness go right out the window. And you know what happens to you in verse 8? The bones you have broken may rejoice. David's bones weren't broken. But I tell you guys, it just affects you physically. It does. I would tell you right now, it affects you physically. And it just brings you down. When the spiritual man is not right, the emotional man will not be right, and the physical man will not be right. We are all tied in together that way, and it it just hits us. Verse 9, hide your face from my sins, blot out all my iniquities. Verse 10, create in me a clean heart, O God. Renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me away from your presence. Do not take your Holy Spirit from me. Now, I think those verses are important because verse eight, ten, what needs to be fixed? It's the heart. I don't know how many times this week I, I've said this. It, it's a heart issue. See, when, when somebody sins... We can look at that action and say, well, they did this because of this and analyze it. No, no, they sinned because their heart wasn't right where it was supposed to be with the Lord. That's what it comes down to. And so the heart needs to be made clean. And you know what? When sin has a hold of you, verse 10, your spirit dries up. You just spiritually dry up. And you know, do not cast me away from your presence. Why would we say that? Because when we're in sin, Satan plants all these thoughts. God doesn't love me. 
How, how could God love a sinner like me? How, how could God want to be around me? How could the body want to be around me? So what happens is, when somebody's in sin, their spirit dries up, they don't want to be in church, they don't want to be around the Word, they don't want to hear the Scriptures, they don't want to talk to the pastor, they don't want to talk to anybody, their spirit dries up with them, and they almost run from the presence of God. Once again, it's not just somebody who's committing an act. It can be somebody who's going through a difficult time. And instead of saying, Lord, help me through this difficult time, they in sin hold a grudge against God. They in sin blame the Lord. They in sin say, if you were a God of love, you wouldn't allow this to happen, and my prayers don't mean anything. And what happens is that difficult time becomes a sin for them because their spirit becomes wrong in their heart. And so the presence of God disappears. They feel like God doesn't love them. They feel like God's abandoned them. when really they've abandoned the Lord. Verse 12, Restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me by your generous spirit. Then I will teach transgressors your ways and sinners shall be converted to you. When I see somebody, verse 12, not to be repetitious, where the joy of the Lord has disappeared, I'm always wondering, what's wrong? What's wrong? Because when that joy disappears... That means we're not in contact, verse 12, with the Spirit of God that gives us joy. And what does the Bible say? The joy of the Lord is our strength. So when the joy disappears, our strength disappears, all because we're either in rebellion or because we're holding on to something or because we've said, God, I don't care anymore. Fill in the blank. And did you catch verse 13? Then I will teach transgressors away and sinners shall be converted to you. See, David says, you know what? I sinned. But now I'm going to take this sin that I did, verse 13, and use it to teach other people the right path. Now that takes maturity. Because a lot of times when I sin, I, I don't want to teach anybody. <laughs> I just want to, to be over with and done. And I realize that a lot of my teaching points on Sundays and Wednesdays come from when I usually mess something up. Most of my good points are like, yep, I sinned this week and this is what happened to me. And I see what David is saying here is, by my mistake, by my sin... That can be a teaching moment to other people to say, be careful, watch out. But it's also a great moment to say love and forgiveness. Because you know what? There's probably somebody sitting here tonight or listening to this message that is eventually going to say, yeah, but what I've done is nearly unforgivable. And I tell you, guys, that's a lie from the pit of hell. The only thing that's unforgivable is rejecting Jesus as your Lord and Savior. Whatever you have done in the flesh, it can be forgiven. And it's a lie from Satan to say it's not forgivable. Boy, Satan loves to get you on that one. Verse 14, deliver me from the guilt of bloodshed. What guilt? He had a man killed. Talk about carrying guilt, O oh God. The God of my salvation, my tongue shall sing aloud of your righteousness. O oh Lord, open my lips and my mouth shall show forth your praise. And it goes into what we just talked about there about not desiring sacrifice. See, this greatest psalmist, worship leader of all time in David, verse 14 and 15, he's saying, help me to praise See, because when the heart's not right with the Lord, you, you don't want to praise the Lord. And, and that's a really deadly combo. My heart's not right with God, so I don't want to praise God. And when you take away that heart of praise from the Lord, you really dry up even quicker. Hey, you see, just look at what happens. When we have something wrong in our heart, we don't like the presence of the Holy Spirit. We feel convicted. We don't like the presence of the body. They make us feel bad. We don't like the presence of any spiritual leadership. We don't like to praise. We don't like to be in the Word. We don't like to pray. That spiritual man just keeps shrinking and drying up more and more and more. And then you see this person that used to be so on fire for the Lord is now bitter, angry. Why? Because that heart isn't where it's supposed to be. 
And David's praying this in verse 15. My mouth shall show forth your praise. O Lord, open my lips. I was just thinking as uh, the worship team was leading tonight, and great songs tonight, and a lot of those songs had the word hallelujah in it. And that word hallelujah literally means praise Yahweh, praise the Lord. And, and how often do we throw that word hallelujah around? You know, I even hear non-believers sarcastically, or even sometimes say, hallelujah. And I'm like, do we even realize what that means? Praise has become so secondary now to us. And what David is trying to say here in verse 15, he goes, I lost praise because of sin. And you don't want to lose that because that just, once again, sucks you dry in all that we do and all that we say. David's heart where it wasn't supposed to be for a year, but yet it was made right then. We'll take a quick break here before we finish up. Anybody got any quick questions, comments here before we close up? Okay, what I just kind of want to finish up with this. You've you got to remember, it's not in what we necessarily do, it's where the heart is. Because what we can do sometimes is we can make ourselves look really presentable and we can make ourselves look really, really good. And as we look really good, we start saying, okay, what people don't know won't hurt them. When really what has happened is the heart isn't where it's supposed to be. Did anybody notice with David how bad things were getting? I don't know. We do know, like I said, this went on for about a year. And as it went on for that year, you almost stop and wonder, did anybody notice, did anybody see, or did David do such a good job of covering up? Did he have such a mindset? Yeah, go ahead, John. Well, Nathan wasn't. Yeah, but see, I would go one step further. It's almost like somebody saying, well, you know, you're the pastor, you go talk to him. You know? I know, it's like, okay. You know, and, and, that, and that's what happens sometimes is we're, we're afraid to call it out. And, and I think there's a balance there. And I think there's a balance because I've run into Christians that have too much joy in pointing out sin. They do. And we could probably all think of people we know of, they love pointing out sin. They love looking under the rocks of people's lives and pointing out everything that's wrong. I'm telling you right now, I have no joy in calling somebody or writing somebody and saying, hey, I'm concerned about you. It's not like, oh, goody. Oh, they screwed up this week. I can't wait to call them. I, I don't like it. So I, I would really like to, and I, we're now off track here, I would really like to in heaven sometime pull Nathan aside and say, man, what was going through your heart? I mean, here you are walking into the throne of the king, and you're calling this guy an adulterer. And what was the penalty for adultery? Don't. I mean, David, according to the law, should have been killed. Now that's a pretty powerful thing. I mean, that's walking up to the king and saying, I'm calling your sin out publicly, which you did privately. That's a pretty big thing. So I, I agree with what you're saying there, John. Yeah, it would have been tough for other people to say something. Yeah, it would have been tough. But you know what? David could have repented of this. Bathsheba could have said, David, what we're doing is wrong. Joab could have said, come on, David. You want me to sin? I mean, there was enough people that could have said something and didn't. And the same thing happens today. We all know people that are going downward instead of forward in their walks. And we're like, well, I don't want to say anything. Because I don't know what to say. I don't want to hurt their feelings. Or you know what? I do wrong things too and to be hypocritical. I tell you, sometimes you just got to say something. Now, Proverbs says, open rebuke is better than concealed love. If I love you enough, I'm going to tell you. And I hope that if you love me enough, you're going to tell me. And David's life could have been differently here if somebody from the beginning just would have said, David, you don't want to do this, man. As we just said a couple Sundays ago in Proverbs, it's not worth it. You don't need Bathsheba. you got wives and concubines, and that's wrong on its own part. But you don't need her. 
But yet this whole pattern of sin, and it just ended up blowing up in front of his face. So Psalm 51 is a great psalm here into the heart of somebody broken in sin. And if there's something you're struggling with right now, I hope you Psalm 51 speaks to your heart. I have gone to Psalm 51 a lot in my life to say, Lord, I am a wretched sinner. And God's like, I already know that, but I love you. It's a beautiful thing about grace. Yeah, Megan. Well, that's an interesting question there. If you know, obviously, if Bathsheba was a willing participant, she's just as guilty as he is. Uh, I did hear a pastor teach one time that he wonders, uh, you know, what was Bathsheba? We don't know Bathsheba's heart on this. You know, once again, you know, I've heard pastors teach that Bathsheba was in the wrong because maybe she was trying to seduce David. I've heard people say Bathsheba shouldn't went over, and I've also heard people say that you know David took Bathsheba by force. We don't know 100% for sure. So. But we do know this, and this is important to mention, for as much as we either pick on Bathsheba or what, she is one of the few women mentioned in the genealogy of Jesus in the book of Matthew. So she is um, elevated to a position of honor to be mentioned in the lineage of Jesus, which is a pretty big thing in the book of Matthew. So, Sorry, go ahead. Mm-hmm. And we sin because our hearts are not right with the Lord. It's like a vicious cycle. It is a vicious cycle. It is. So how do you break that vicious cycle? Uh, repentance, confession, forsaking. I mean, Psalm 51 is what breaks that cycle. There, there has to be a point in your life where you say, I, I want to be done. And I, I remember one time talking to somebody. I, I had a, a gal pop out here, and she was um, coming down off cocaine, and she was just into these drugs. And just a horrible life. And I, and I went to somebody out here at church I knew they used to struggle with drugs. And I went to him and I asked him, I said, so when you were struggling with drugs, when, when did you quit? And I remember him telling me, I, I quit when I wanted to. And you know, there comes a time and a place where you have to say, I'm tired of being in the pig slop and the vomit of life. I don't want to do this anymore. But the problem is with sin, as it says in the book of Hebrews, sin is pleasurable for a season. See, the problem is you go up to some of these people and you say, man... You know, what you're doing is wrong, and you know, God, and, and, you, and you must be feeling miserable. And they're like, man, I don't, I don't really feel miserable. I'm in a great relationship. I love what we're doing. I love what I do on Friday nights. I love, what I'm, I'm, this is, I love my life. They're in the pleasures of sin. They're not realizing that they're getting deeper and deeper in the pig slot vomit of life. So eventually it comes a point where you have to say, I am tired of this. This is not how I want to live. This is not what the type of Christian man or woman of God I want to be. God, I'm sorry. For David, it took a year and it took somebody publicly calling them out. So for you that have loved ones, friends, family, relatives, and they're in this state of sin, you're like, how long can they continue? I don't know. David won a year. Now, it sounds like his life was getting pretty miserable here, but David won a year. Why didn't Nathan the prophet go in one day later? Because I don't think David's heart was ready. I think it took David a year for him to realize this is not how I want to be. His heart was ready. The Lord led Nathan. Nathan went in. David received I've gone and talked to people before about sin, and it's just a brick wall. They're not ready to receive it. I'm ready to give it. They're just not ready to receive it. And you've got to make sure the heart's ready to hear it. And so to answer your question, Megan, the heart has to want to be different. Until the heart wants to change, nothing's going to change. Anybody else? So, great psalm. I, I absolutely love this psalm. If you're going through a tough time... This psalm is for you. If you know somebody who is just overwhelmed with guilt and sin, this psalm is for them. Because even though this psalm is sin, it's talking about sin, you can't walk away from the psalm and not think, God does love me. 
that he wants to make it right with me. Mercy, forgiveness, my transgressions, my sins are blotted out. It's a beautiful, wonderful thing. And actually, as you read this psalm, you walk away saying, Lord, you're right. I don't want to live in that sin anymore. I want things to be different. All right, let's close in a word of prayer. Then, Heavenly Father, as we come to you, thank you for the wonderful time just to study this, Lord. And, Lord, if there's someone here tonight that is struggling, Lord, in the name of Jesus, speak to their heart that this is not the path that they want to go down, Lord. Lord, if we know somebody who's struggling, Lord, help us to uplift them in prayer. And, Lord, help us to encourage them in all ways and all things, Lord, that they truly would seek a right relationship with you. And, Lord, in our heart, help our heart to be clean. Help our heart to be pure in you. And, Lord, we don't want to hold on to any sin, no matter how big or small it is in our eyes. We don't want to hurt our relationship with you. In your name we pray. Amen.